Welcome back to the GOAT District via the Player Profiler Network. It is Wednesday, May 31st, tonight. Lead analyst at the 33rd team and one-week season and our favorite retired fighter pilot, the Mark Garcia. You know him as at, at HiloFF. Just how important are touchdowns to your fantasy football success? What off-season, off-season, or sorry, what, off, what offenses should you be heavily invested in this season and should be drafting guys like Brees Hall, Traylon Burks, Antonio Gibson. We've got this and so much more. We got a big show tonight, guys. Buckle up. Let's get to it. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now, all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I'll always be traded. Traded. And I'll always be traded. Traded. And I'll always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. What is up, Fantasyland? We're back in the district. Tonight's show is so big, it's got me tongue-tied. Dan, Theo, I know you guys are pumped for this guy. He's a good friend of ours. We see this guy all over Twitter. He does it. He does the walk. He drafts in those high-stakes streets. You know him from the 33rd team, lead analyst. He's head DFS, head best ball analyst, and also game theory innovator, which I love as a title at one-week season. Guys, welcome back to the district, Mr. Mark Garcia. What's Dude, up, Mark? You Good guys, to have you back, man. Your guys' intro just always gets just a, puts a smile on my face. Just gets me pumped, man. I absolutely love it, dude. Yeah, that's a, that, that's awesome. We love what you're doing, man. It's uh, it's been too long since we've had you on. So as I, as I said, we got to we got to get it, and it it works out really well since this is Memorial Day week. So just wanted to say thank you for your service, Mark. We really appreciate that. So, uh, and, yeah, and just a, a joy to have you on this week. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely a, a solemn weekend. Um, beyond like the beginning of the summer festivities, um, the, oh yeah, beyond like it being like the 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 kickoff of like summer festivities around you know the multinational northern hemisphere. Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of a solemn reminder of of those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice and and i've lost close friends uh to to the dangerous business that is the military and um so it's just a good reminder a time to time to kind of remember the good times with those guys because those are some uh, some of the best guys i've ever known yep absolutely i i saw your tweet about uh, your your squad mates and uh that was powerful stuff for sure yeah man appreciate you everything you do and to all the troops out there um 
we appreciate what you guys do out there. I know up in Canada, same thing. Um, you know, our troops out here and, and of course you guys down uh, celebrating with Memorial weekend. Um, guys, let's get into it. You know, like I said, coming in, this guy drafts in the high streets, does high volume. I mean, super high volume. Uh, I, and I'm not just talking drafts. I'm talking kids. What are we at, Mark? You got I'm, seven trying, uh, I'm trying to field a, uh, a volleyball team at this point. Um, I'm at a hockey team where at least if I play goalie, nice. I'm there. We got five right nice. now. Wow. Yeah. Congrats, dude. You're blessed. Trying, That's amazing. Trying to catch up to Noah, huh? Yeah. yeah, we keep trading punches, man. We're going back and forth. <laughs> shout, shout out, shout out to Noah Riddell. I think the last time you were on the Goat District, it was with Noah. Yeah, um, that's yeah. right. Yeah, with that's the It's right. a Trap show, which I I missed that one, so I, I had to be on this one. Um, yeah, Mark is Mark is super super sharp. I love I love your takes on guys. I love being able to kind of you know pick your brain um, as needed. And uh, you know, I'm I'm excited that I'm not drafting right next to you tomorrow night. <laughs> I, I was just talking to Abib earlier um, and Dwayne as well, so I'm I'm in between those two guys. So I think my my goal is just to snipe the hell out of both of them. Yeah, um, and then you and Dan kind of compete in that little middle portion of the draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. I yeah, was no. I was making jokes like, oh, I got the seven spot. That's about where I finish every year in this league because it's so <laughs> cutthroat. <laughs> I saw that. It's, yeah, it's a it's a tough league for sure, and and looking forward to it. It's gonna be a fun draft tomorrow night. So yeah, uh, for those for those of you who are interested in catching it, uh, our friends over at the FFPC are gonna have it on their YouTube feed, so um, you can take a look and catch it there. But but indeed, let's dive into. Uh, all the goodness that Mark has, because it would be a shame for us not to figure out what his strategy is before the draft. Dan, 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 before we get Dan, before we get into goodness, how about we do this? Let's let's get the house cleaning out of the way first, and then that way we can just dive deep into the goodness with Mark and squeeze him as much as we can before the thing ends. You guys good with that? JD's a pro. It. JD, you're such a pro. Yeah, right. Hey, we, we got the big boss looking, watching us, man. We got to make yeah. sure we get the get those spots in. But in all seriousness, guys, we appreciate Plur Profiler. We appreciate them having us on here every Wednesday night. You know us as the Goat District. We also have a YouTube channel and a podcast that you can download and check out on your on your own time. Uh, we do everything, guys. High stakes, best ball, redraft. We get the biggest guests, the biggest drafts. We do live drafts. We review draft boards. You name it, we do it. Check us out. You've got myself, Theo, and Dan, and, of course, Andrew at AMS Schellenberg. And we're on here every Wednesday night, guys, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Make sure you check in, check us out. If you missed the show, watch the stream. We're going to go to a quick word to the man himself, Mr. Matt Kelly, and then we're going to get deep into it with the high-low. You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the, the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of Fantasy Football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never-too-early best ball leagues cranking since February. And so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. All right, Dan, take it away, brother. 
All right, and just to, just to pile on a little bit, if you are interested in the FFPC, you're wanting to get into one of those main events, no, that's you right. have until midnight Good to call. get $100 off. So right after this podcast is over, go do that. All right, so here we go. So, Mark, uh, one of the things that you, you put together over at uh, the 33rd team is you put together kind of a series on TDs and, and how important they are for fantasy gamers because they are a little bit of a conundrum, right? Uh, they're very difficult to predict year over year, but they're also a major driver of fantasy scoring. So you can't totally ignore them, but you know, trying to predict them almost seems too difficult. But you, you do have a way to, to kind of go about it. And you did a series on the importance of TDs for each of the position groups in, the, in uh, fantasy football. Can you take us through just kind of the main takeaways of your research at each of the draft positions? Yeah, I felt like because it's just accepted now that that touchdowns are so variance laden and there's so much variance that goes into it. I wanted to dive deeper into the underlying situations or um, what, like what can we predict touchdowns? The answer is no, but like, can we put ourselves in the best position to leverage the variance that's associated with touchdowns? The answer is most definitely yes. So I took a kind of systematic approach to touchdowns. Where do they come from? How are they scored? Where can we kind of leverage that information? Um, and also, a, like, a, I guess I dove into the correlation uh, positionally for touchdowns versus fantasy scoring. Like, how important are touchdowns to the fantasy value of the different positions? Um, what I found was I, th- I went into the, the study thinking that tight end was hands down going to have the highest correlation between touchdowns and fantasy production. It's actually quarterbacks, um, which we'll, we'll get into, I think a little bit here, uh, a little bit more here in a little bit, but um, it's quarterbacks, then it's running backs, then it's tight ends and then it's wide receivers um, and did all that kind of uh, correlation via our programming and tried to find out definitively what position is most dependent on touchdowns for fantasy production and it's quarterbacks. So that was uh, probably the most startling thing to me. Um, and especially that tight ends was kind of tertiary in that study um, as far as importance for touchdowns versus fantasy production. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things where I was really surprised because I would have also put tight ends at the top. I would, you know, it just kind of feels like uh, with a lot of the, you know, the lesser tight ends or whatever, you know, it's kind of the score or bust type thing. And I think that's what leaks into our thinking. Uh, you know, we don't really consider uh, the, some of those, you know, tight ends that are getting a ton more targets and all that, and they can get a higher percentage of the scoring. And those are the ones who are getting overwhelmingly more used in fantasy too. So it's, um, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're down at the bottom of the scrap heap, definitely touchdowns, I think, matter a little bit more. But up top, uh, you get the points from other places. So that was, that was kind of an interesting thought on that. So let's, let's dive in. Uh, Real quick, uh, like the, the Washington Commanders have changed their offensive coordinators. Eric Bieniemy now running the offense. How do you think that's going to change the, the offense overall? Uh, you know, pulling in touchdown scoring and everything else. What, what effects do you think you'll see with the skill players? That's kind of a loaded question, I would say. I think the, um, the underlying understanding is of like what is the game of fantasy football the game of fantasy football is not like picking the best players or the players that score the most points because we can't repeatedly do that better than everybody else. It's just you can't do that. It's like saying like I'm 
I'm the best poker player in the world because I'm really good at like hitting flops. It's like you can't control what you can't control. But what we can control is we can manipulate how we leverage variance like in our favor. And that has a lot to do with like ranges of outcomes. And I say all that to, I guess, fold into the fact that the Washington Commanders have one of the widest range of potential outcomes as far as an offense goes coming into this season. Eric Bieniemy basically took an offensive coordinator position at a downtrodden landing spot because he, I think he wants to prove something. He wants to get out of under the wing in the shadow of Andy Reid. When you come into a situation that has as much talent as the Washington commanders have, but you're basically coming in with a fresh set of everything. He's, I think he's going to be given the keys to the whole kingdom. Basically go do your offense, go do this thing, like score us points. And, but when you have like the youth that they have, the talent that they have, but it all in this umbrella of learning a new offense, we could see them finish top five scoring in the league. We could see them finish bottom five scoring in the league. So that whole discussion on range of outcome, it has to be taken into account within the umbrella of like how we make these decisions. And the governing factor is in all redraft dynasty is in the constraints of the in dfs it's within the constraints of the salary we have these like governing bodies that we have to put into our decision making process so when you have this like really wide range of outcomes and another thing about the commanders that's interesting is a dfs metric or i guess something i use in my dfs process is looking at where the primary skill position players are going and then where the quarterback is going or the price and the expected ownership in DFS terms. So for the commanders, they have four or five skill position players that are going in the top 10, 11 rounds, right? But Sam Howell, who's expected to be the starting quarterback for the duration of the season, is like an afterthought being drafted like at the back end. So that is very interesting. One of those things is wrong. And again, that just speaks to like this idea of extremely wide range of outcomes. Like, could Sam Howell be garbage and the offense stutter and Eric Bieniemy was just a product of, of Andy Reid? Yeah. Could Sam Howell with his escapability and this, his athleticism and his ability, his um, pocket presence, he's not, it, I would classify Sam Howell as an escape ability quarterback um, from the sense that his first read is he's not looking to tuck and run, right? He is able to extend plays that is more in line with like a Patrick Mahomes than it is like a Jalen Hurts. But what that does is it, it increases the expectation for sustained drives and putting up points. So all that kind of goes into like the answer to that question is like, maybe, <laughs> maybe the commanders are like going to do something this year, but maybe not. But something between the Sam Howell's ADP and his primary skill position players ADP, something is wrong there um you can bet on either side of that it's it's somewhat similar to seattle last year it, it, there's a parallel with two talented wide receivers that are slightly pushed down like Jahan dotson i feel like is very pushed down mclaurin has kind of established himself so he's he's where he's at but i think there's still a little bit of upside if the offense does take a step forward and then gibson's kind of going where ken walker went last year um so it's 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 very interesting like it won't take a whole lot 
if Sam Howell just hits as like quarterback 18, there's probably a little bit of, of room for upside with all of those guys hitting in that big three. Yeah. And Antonio Gibson from a best ball sense has been one of my biggest targets based on that, that equation that we just talked about of range of outcomes versus his ADP, because he has the potential to be a top 14, 15 running back this season. And he's being drafted in like RB 35, 36 range, something like that. So that same with Jahan Dotson. I mean, Dotson scored seven touchdowns on 35 receptions last season, which is insane. And that is, people can argue all they want, argue with the wall about whether that's based on just variance or his skill level. The dude is talented and he really wasn't in the best situation to kind of showcase that talent last season. And he still put up seven touchdowns on 35 receptions. So they have a lot of talent and they have a lot of upside with Eric Bieniemy now running that offense. Yeah. And that, I think a couple of important points there. First off on Dotson, you know, it, it, at the beginning of last season, if you'd asked me, you know, could Dotson score seven touchdowns off of 35 touches in this offense, I, I'd have looked at you and laughed and said, no way. But now we know it's in this range of outcomes, even if that's the top end of the range. I mean, it still says, you know, that that kind of changes your viewpoint about a player, um, or at least it should. Um, and the other thing is, thank you for for clarifying on uh, on Sam Howell that he is not a running quarterback. I mean, I've. I've I've seen, I saw it today on Twitter. People were calling him a, a Konami quarterback. And I was yeah, like, what, he's what even is this? He's, he's an escapability. He has the, yes. and it stems from his athleticism and his pocket presence. He has plus pocket presence. And he's mm -hmm. able to, uh, I guess, parlay that into being able to extend plays and escape the pocket. It's, he's able to, it's, it's like Patrick Mahomes. That's the best way, like, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but that's the best way to, like, picture what he does with his legs. He had the one big rushing season at North Carolina. I think that kind of stuck in people's minds. But the other two seasons, he didn't he didn't run for anything at Carolina. It was like the the out there eight hundred yard rushing season. Um, it was very random. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's a misconception, Dan. But he he does have potential to pass for some touchdowns in this offense, which is which is pretty interesting. I I personally love that. I've never heard that escapability ability I, I, that's that's beautiful man like that's exactly what it is right that's where he gets that that mobility from um just just to to give uh the stats here just looking at like the last five days in the best ball slims just because i've got it open ffpc wise you got brian robinson going as rb 37 and you've got antonio gibson going as rb 39 so that's some really nice value those late you know you're looking at zero rb late round rb type of build those are nice guys to throw in there especially with the ppr gibby with the ppr action Yep. And, uh, and our friend Nick uh, from Go Bills wants to know what's the deal with the tight end situation for Washington. Uh, Logan Thomas, any value or anybody else? I mean, you know, for me, it's it's Logan Thomas and Prey or Logan Thomas or Prey. I'm not sure which is right. Maybe both. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what do I, you think, Mark? I did a lot of research into Logan Thomas in that situation. And my conclusion is that Logan Thomas is the one and he is the guy that they are going to lean on. And when best ball season opened, Bates was being drafted at like the 17th, 18th round. And Logan Thomas wasn't. And if you look back at every healthy game that Logan Thomas played last season, he outsnapped Bates significantly. He also was like top 13 in targets per out run rate at the tight end position. He was running the uh, a significant amount of routes and he was top five 
in routes run from the slot last season. And that is, I think, going to only stay the same or increase because of Eric Bieniemy and how I think he's going to utilize Curtis Samuel as more of this, like, Nicole Hardman, Jarek McKinnon type player, this, like, gadgety player where he can do some fun stuff with him um, out of the backfield or split out wide or in the slot, all kinds of fun stuff. So I think that's going to lead to about the same or an, maybe a slight increase in slot snap rate from um, – Jesus, now I forgot his name. Who the hell are we talking about? <laughs> Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas, thank you. Sick. Yes. Yeah, top um, of my game. <laughs> it happens to all of us. <laughs> Who was that again? Yeah. So uh, an, another team that was really bad at scoring touchdowns last year was Denver Broncos, right? They were, they were just they, – it seemed like they they were looking for new ways to fail all all year long. They've totally revamped the coaching staff from last year. Uh, you know, I think all that's pretty much old news. But do you think that's going to revitalize the offense? And you know, what would be your expectations for the main pieces in Denver right now? Every season that Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi were in New Orleans, they finished a top five scoring offense. So I'm of the I'm of the thought process that Russ is not cooked, that he is still the same quarterback. I think that his struggles last season were due to the fact that he had a very static offensive design um, from Hackett and his wide receivers were not good at generating separation at target because you look at his career and we're talking about Russell Wilson here. You look at his career, he's always had dynamic playmakers that are able to win within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage. I mean, you look all the way back to like Doug Baldwin. These guys were able to generate that separation and that cushion at target within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, the, the, the best player from a separation at target last season was rookie tight end Greg Dulcich. So that's how I think that Dulcich had the relative semi breakout in the second half of the season that he did because Russ is like, Oh, that guy's streaking over the middle field and he's actually got some separation. I'm going to throw it to him instead of six foot four Cortland Sutton, who is not able to beat press coverage. So like taking that into account and now a Sean Payton, Joe Lombardi offense where he is going to, have a higher rate of pre-snap motion. He's going to have a higher rate of safety manipulation. I think that, and Denzel Mims, the addition of him. Marvin Mims. Going, or, sorry, Marvin Don't Mims. call him Denzel Mims, Mark. <laughs> Don't put that on him. Don't put Don't that put on that him. Evil on me, I love that tongue slip. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Freudian. That, I, that can't be Freudian. You can't be yeah, thinking right? Denzel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reverse yeah. Freud. He, 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 has to, he, he has to redeem the Mims name. Marvin Mims, Yes. Uh, the fact that they drafted Marvin Mims when they did, and the fact that he was the first offensive selection from Sean, head coach Sean Payton tells me that he is going to be a viable contributor to this offense. And what this offense was missing last season is the ability to manipulate safeties against cover three, cover two, and two high defensive formations, because that is like the base formation you're going to see in today's NFL is a two high look. Teams can run quarters, they can run quarters press, they can run cover two press, they can co- They can run all these different like variations. They can run Tampa two, 
all these different variations from two safeties on the field is the baseline defense from today's NFL. And if you're not able to manipulate those safeties, you're going to struggle, struggle with efficiency. You're going to struggle with drive success rate. You're going to struggle with completion rate, all these things that we kind of measure quarterbacks by. And that's why I think Russ struggled so much last season. They had this very straightforward vanilla offense. They had this, inability to manipulate opposing safeties. Now you add Marvin Mims, who runs a sub 4-4-40, who is able to stretch the field in the vertical, who's able to be this, like, even if he's only Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that's what this offense needs. They need somebody to manipulate the safeties, to give these unique looks, and to open up the interior of the field for Jerry Judy to work, for Greg Dulcich to work, for Javante Williams to work. And I think that combined with the new coaching staff and what they have shown me so far, I am buying Denver's offense hard this year. I love your Marvin Mims call. Like that's a guy we've talked about on Goat District. JD and Dan and I talked to Austin R. Martin about Marvin Mims. He's a guy that I have a ton of in Dynasty. And I think it's oh, such yeah. a you get I love it, JD. Love it. That was very well timed. I had like you get the discount on him because of like the fear that people have about a log jam that just probably yeah. isn't there. Like Tim Patrick, <laughs> they were dead last in points per game. Hey, hey, Denver. Hey. Dead last. Yeah. Like, like they, Russ is getting drafted at quarterback 18 on underdog. Um, and there's so many like of the, like the tertiary pieces that are not named Jerry Judy that could all beat ADP. It's a definitely an interesting offense. Like you bring up Dulcich, Marvin Mims is interesting. Samaje Piran. What are your thoughts on Piran? Because he's right at like, the tail end of RB3 land, which is high for him historically, but it seems like he could be a, a low-key um, productive player every week, especially with Javante Williams coming back from injury. Yeah, and a devastating injury at that. I mean, it, it occurred so early in the season last season um, that he has the opportunity or the ability being so young and coming off of the injury with enough about nine months to recover. He has the opportunity to be available for week one. But now you're talking about like multiple ligament knee injury, what that does to expected efficiency production metrics, um, historically between a 20 to 30% reduction in those efficiency metrics. But for, so I guess taking all that into account and weighing that versus our previous discussion on range of outcomes, I started the season with a boatload of Samaj P. Ryan. And I, I was drafting before the schedules came out and how I was handling that is I was just, basically targeting divisions and the AFC West, the NFC West and the NFC North. We have all these high powered offenses and a mix of okay defenses. I mean, the AFC West has some good defensive coordinators and then it's like a smattering of horrible defenses. So that's kind of how I was attacking the best ball streets before the schedule was even released. I was targeting those divisions. Guys, that's a, that's a writer downer for those listening, by the way, if you're not doing that. <laughs> I was like a writer downer. What are we talking about? Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, well, I'm old school, man. I'm still using. Pepsi. Yeah, no, no. Oh, dude, I know. I, I still keep my schedule on a freaking moleskin notebook. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So Samaj Piran was a guy who I had a boat. I've had like 50 percent over my first hundred best ball drafts because he was going in the 13th to the 15th round. Now that Piran's ADP is kind of converging with Javante Williams. I've seen Williams in the triple digits in ADP in some drafts I'm in. Now I'm starting to take those Javante Williams shares to 
to leverage that what if. Like, what if Javante Williams is healthy and he's of the Brees Hall mold that we're going to talk about here shortly? He's young, he's athletic, and he's going to bounce back with a minimal hit to his expected efficiency. What if? What if the field is just wrong about that situation? So it depends on the range of outcomes versus opportunity cost, ADP. And with Samaj P. Ryan, like I was all about him, the pass catching role, all that's there. But this is still a running back who hasn't seen more than 95 carries since his rookie season, which was in 2017. So that's a fairly large sample of we don't think this guy can handle a significant workload. So it depends on cost. But I was very heavy on P. Ryan early. Now I'm kind of starting to up my Javante Williams shares. No, for sure. Let, let's do a, a quick, quick, quick on the clock. OTC, uh, Samaji Pirine or Zach Charbonnet, Mark? It depends on the Early. first eight, nine picks of your draft, but um, I have more Pirine than I do Charbonnet. Clear, uh, clearly. Better or worse. What's your percentage out from that 50? Uh, I think it's cut in half because I don't think I've taken a share over the last three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for those who yeah. don't know, Mark does like huge volume. So that's, you know, that's, uh, he'll, yeah. he'll flatten out that 50 pretty quickly. Theo, where, yeah. where are you on uh, Sharbs or Pirine? Well, I I think it's a, if either one of them had the backfield all themselves, it would definitely be Charbonnet, who could be a borderline RB1. Pirine, if Javante's not there, he's still another back will mix in. So give me, give me Charbonnet, everything being equal. Dan, would you go Sharbs, Pirine, or James Cook? Uh, Probably P. Ryan, Sharbs, and then Cook. Oh, interesting. Give me Cook, baby. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I, I, I would take Cook. Damn, I think Cook is, I think cook is sneaky value. I love Cook. I don't love Damian Harris there. Sorry. I took Cook in the ninth round of a football guys um, on Sunday. That's so And I feel like that's make very a very good, good value there. I'll make a bold call. Damian okay. Harris is more likely to impact um, – Moss? Oh or no, he must no, is gone. Um, he's more likely to impact Josh Allen's rushing touchdown number than he is James Cook. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because they want to save Allen a bit in that area. James Allen's Cook James beating. Cook needs James Cook needs uh to be targeted. And I think if he is targeted, I think he's very interesting. If he just absorbs Devin Singletary's targets. Then I think then I think he's very interesting this year, especially where he's going. Like Damian Harris has kind of created, um, you know, a little bit of of pause with drafters with Cook. Whereas I think if it was not a back that's proved it, and they just took some day three back instead that might have the same outcomes as Damian Harris, I think Cook would be a lot more expensive. So it's like a a Cook discount because of like the Buffalo ambiguity. Great. It's great to me. Like Damian Harris, that's the most I got to worry about. That's beautiful in that offense. Dan, are you sold or what? No, no. Yeah, sorry to sorry. just all shit on Dan. <laughs> Dan, no, it's good. Hey, we we got a draft in rooms with Dan, so it's good that yeah, you don't it's, always. It, it's good. I, I will I will not be fighting you to uh, be the first to draft James Cook. How about that? There you go. It's not not to say I'm not going to you know I, I will have some, but uh, he's he's not a high priority target for me. Um, so we've we've talked about some teams that we think are going to get better at throwing touchdowns. How about some teams that we think might get worse, Mark? Um, any teams come to mind to you? Um, you know, like the the Packers and the Bucks kind of seem like obvious choices to me. Do you have any others that you would throw on top of that, or do you think I'm crazy for even thinking they would be uh, dropping back in the touchdown throws? 
No, I mean, that's completely fair. Each of them are probably going to see a fairly significant hit in volume. And when you when we talk about like what how we can put ourselves in position to leverage this variance associated with touchdowns for quarterbacks, so much of the passing touchdowns that come in today's league still come within the red zone. We see outliers every day of the uh, Rashid or the Shahid long touchdowns or uh, like Justin Jefferson and, and Jamar Chase types who can take a slant to for 90 at any point. Um, the Gabe Davises who just rip off 98 yarders like it's their job. But so much of the ex- expectation from passing and rushing touchdowns comes from within the red zone. So we're looking at offenses with high expected efficiency on offense, so able to sustain drives. And we're looking for offenses that are able to sustain drives once they get into the red zone, because obviously the closer we get to the end zone, the higher likelihood chance we are to score. Um, you look at the the breakout from like running back and quarterback scoring where in the field it comes from still like 60% of the touchdowns are scored within the five yard line. Then it's like 80% backed out um, to within the red zone. And it's fairly flat between those two positions as well. So we still want efficient offenses and we want a high red zone pass rate. So the Packers had a high red zone pass rate with, um, with Aaron Rodgers. Is that going to maintain with a new quarterback in his first full season as a starter? Probably not. So yeah, those are two very good calls. I mean, and then we, we talk about Baker Mayfield if if we want to, but I don't think anybody wants to do that. Um, that, 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 that clip we're seeing all over Twitter does not help. You know, yeah, you know, <laughs> just sailing, dude. Like, where's yeah. Jameis Winston? Come on. Yeah. So those are the two big things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for drive success rate, a high drive success rate, and a high red zone pass rate to put myself in the best position to leverage the variance associated with touchdowns. No, it definitely makes sense. All right. It, let's, um, let's take a look at the Patriots real quick. We got Bill O'Brien back there as a Patriots o- offensive coordinator. I, I, do you think this is going to have an effect on Mac Jones at all? Probably not, at least not immediately for the 2023 season. Um, Bill O'Brien is kind of the death by a million cuts type offensive coordinator. And you look at the personnel that they have on their offense, and it's basically just Taekwon uh, that's able to stretch the field and, and manipulate those safeties like we talked about earlier. So this is probably going to be a, an offense that lacks much dynamism. Um, and they're probably going to basically do the same thing and leverage their defense because they still have a top 10 defense on paper, just standard Bill Belichick. Um, And they're going to try and sustain drives and give that does all kinds of things for your game plan, but sustain drives through this like death by a million paper cuts type mentality. So I'm not very high on really any member of the new England Patriots outside of Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that, Mac Jones is being drafted as like quarterback 31. Like he's bottom of the barrel here. Good. So <laughs> it's, I don't want any of it. <laughs> it's really gross, but I, I feel like that offense could be, I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as that for Mac Jones, even though there's no, no clear, you know, pass catchers there besides like Juju 
Mike Jacecki, you bring up Tyquan Thornton. I think that yeah. Tyquan Thornton and Pierre Strong are interesting because those two guys, if they utilize, like if Bill, if it's a Billichuk thing where he gives them an expanded role in year two, that at least adds some speed. And Bill O'Brien, I think, will be a uh, we can all agree he'll be an improvement um, over what yeah. they had last year in terms of it's leadership. Not hard to so do. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready to completely bury the Patriots. It's certainly a ugly-looking offense on paper besides Ramondre Stevenson, but I think they could be. But they're cheap. Just a little bit better. They're cheap. Like Tyquan Thornton, wide receiver 80. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if he leads that team in receiver, I know it's not great, but wide receiver 80, I mean, that's pretty good in best ball to fill in those bye weeks. There's, I'm glad that you mentioned Pierre Strong because there's. I identified very early that there's two backfields that have a significant amount of ambiguity, so a lot of uncertainty with respect to their lead back's role. The assumption on the field, um, around the field, is that Tony Pollard for the Dallas Cowboys – and Ramondre Stevenson are just going to step into this 80-85% snap rate and opportunity share role. It's like I would wager my money, which I have been, on the fact that that's not the case. We're probably going to see Pierre Strong have a change of pace type role for the Patriots. We're probably going to see my money's on Malik Davis in Dallas probably have this change of pace role. Deuce Vaughn, and that's basically because Ty Montgomery and Deuce Vaughn are not capable of that in today's NFL game. You can say anything you want about like the feel good story about Deuce Vaughn and him being drafted where his dad works. And um, the fact that Ty Mont missed all last season with injury and he's coming back uh, and to fit this potential to be a third down change of pace, kind of weird Demi role. The fact that, the field just assumes that Ramondre Stevenson and Tony Pollard are going to be this like workhorse running back in a day and age where that is very, very hard to find. Now there's, I mean, there were three, maybe four running backs that had a greater than 80% opportunity share last season around the entire league. It's just the, the days of David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell are gone. That's just today's NFL game. So those two situations, I've been taking the what if the field is wrong approach and taking some Malik Davis and Pierre Strong in the last round of drafts, um, particularly in best ball if they're correlated like with some of the pieces that I've already had on my team because those backup you running back roles, the truth. those backup running back roles on offenses that are expected to be high rush rate are expected to at least have some improvement in efficiency and they're on teams that have high red zone rush rates so the that's basically all my criteria right there of potential for upside i love pierre strong i just hope he gets the opportunity because he's got a lot of juice and it's the kind of player that bill belichick will like um he had an a a shocking amount of passing touchdowns at south dakota state in his arsenal so you know that bill belichick's got something yeah, up, um, it, it, it's New England. It, it's New England, and it's the running back position. Guaranteed, yeah. strong gets an opportunity. 100%. I sure hope so. Yeah, so um, you know, and and I just want to get into the the tight end usage as well. Um, I know that you know in one of your articles you were taught you weren't real wild about the tight ends in uh, in New England, um, either Gasecki or uh, Hunter Henry. Oh, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and you're you're kind of pulling up uh, Bill O'Brien's terrible usage of tight end in Houston. Uh, do you think that has more to do with the scheme or the quality of tight ends he had to work with? Because I'm I'm kind of looking at the Patriots and I'm going, you know, I don't see who's likely to be 
you know, well, I see a few chan a few people who might be second in targets um, on the Patriots, and Mike Gusecki is definitely one of those guys that could be, you know, second in targets because he does act a little bit more like a slot wide receiver. So, uh, do you do you think that's insane to uh, be targeting Gusecki where he's going in drafts, or are you just totally out on the Patriot tight ends? I'm pretty much totally out, but the reasoning isn't that I know for a fact who Bob is and I'm predicting what they're going to do. It's for the fact of the, the, what the previous discussion was with where are touchdowns coming from and where are they, what positions are they valuable for? The fact, and that goes into, again, me being like just hands off on Mac Jones, the the Patriots have a very, very low red zone pass rate, and they're expected to have, at least off what we can tell so far with all the changes they have, a moderate to low drive success rate in this coming season. And the fact that they don't have really an established deep passing game, they don't really have the pieces to develop one uh, outside of Taekwon, they are highly likely to have to adapt that, like, not like that death by a thousand paper cuts kind of mentality on offense. And what that requires to score a touchdown is so many things to continue to go right on a, to sustain a drive for that long. So while they might be top 15 in average time of possession, because they're going to try and have this like slow the game down approach, they have a top 10 defense. They're probably going to be bottom 15 in points scored per game. Um, so it's just an offense that it, the range of outcomes is like, can they finish a top five offense? Probably a 2% chance of that happening. If they were being like the pieces that are being left for dead, I will gamble on the potential for that 2% chance of hitting the pieces who are being drafted in every draft. So like everybody except Pierre strong, basically, and maybe Taekwon, um, even Mike Kosicki, like he's pretty much drafted every single draft. So I, I don't really have much interest in betting on such an extreme outlier when he's basically doing so in every draft. And that's that's more of a best ball mentality. Um, I don't know. For for redraft season long, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's not for me. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Fair enough. All right. So clearly we, we, we could make this thing a two-parter, but there are definitely some questions that we do want to get to. Um, so we're, we're going to jump ahead a little bit, but I, I, I just want one offense, Dan, if I can just ask Mark about one offense. Yeah. So what about the Los Angeles chargers, Mark, where Herbert is, you're shaking your head. Herbert it's in a good way. QB two <laughs> last year, QB two last year. Now he's getting drafted QB seven. So he's like, there's not like this massive discount, but he's still discounted. And you have all of the pass catchers have all gotten kind of pushed down. With the addition of Quentin Johnston, you have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and Johnston all kind of in a affordable range. Gerald Everett's in an affordable range. They seem like it's kind of like a low-hanging fruit because we believe in Herbert, the uh, the talent, and we all love Kellen Moore. But is this an offense we should just be diving into? It seems like it to me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> at least that's how I'm approaching it. We let's let's talk about like the quarterback landscape real quick. And like again with quarterback scoring being so heavily tied to touchdowns, Justin Herbert is coming off of a down season in touchdowns from his uh, two seasons ago where he put up what 40 something touchdowns or something like that. 
there are maybe four or five quarterbacks that have a legitimate shot at 45 plus touchdowns com- composite in rushing and passing. It's, it's Josh Allen. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Jalen hurts. That's your tier one. Those are the, should be the top three quarterbacks off the board in every draft. Tier two is headlined in my mind by Justin Herbert with everything that they've done this off season. He is probably my betting favorite out of tier two, out of guys not named Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and um, Jalen Hurts to lead the league in total composite touchdowns. And then it's it's Joe Burrow in tier two, and then probably Lamar Jackson in tier two. And you notice I did not say Justin Fields because he's not <laughs> – he doesn't have that upside from a scoring touchdowns perspective. I was the biggest Justin Fields fan last season. He was going the 10th, 11th round. Give me all of it because – Everyone was so uncertain with this situation. Is he going to start the entire year? We have no idea. It's like leverage that uncertainty for the upside. This year, though, he is not. He does not carry a comparable range of outcomes versus where he's being drafted as quarterback four, quarterback five off the board. Like, give me Justin Herbert. Give me Joe Burrow, who's going after him. Give me Lamar Jackson, who's going around him. Uh, they have the ability to blow the league away in touchdowns, whereas Justin Field does not. Who has more rushing yards this year? Mark, Would you? what would be the Vegas odds on Anthony Richardson outrushing Justin Fields this year, who you can get 50, 50 picks lower if you're looking for rushing upside from a quarterback? I mean, if Vegas were to set the line, I would probably say they would set it around Justin Fields minus 140. So a pretty significant favorite. But I think that is to play off of the fields or the, the, the general public's perception of what Fields is and what he's going to do this season because obviously they want to get half of the bets on both sides of that. Um, but I would say Richardson has a comparable ceiling to Justin Fields. Much, much less chance of hitting it in year one. Um, I was all over Richardson in early best ball drafts. He was going like, ADP 148 in early best ball. Now he's like ADP 80. And that's a fairly significant shift in that risk versus reward versus range of outcomes profile. He's QB one. Anthony Richards is a QB one. It's <laughs> yeah. wild. Wild time. So, he's 20 years old. Yeah. I had a ton early. I have probably similar to Samaj P. Ryan. I don't think I've taken one over the last three weeks. Awesome. So we've we've been talking a lot about uh, you've been talking especially about range of outcome. Uh, let's just kind of dive into that that concept a little bit more. How, how do you compare that with median fantasy points when it comes to making projections, ranking players, and all that? And you know, like most especially, how can the average person who's not doing either rankings or projections capitalize on this concept of a range of outcomes rather than just a a, a median score? That's a good question. And for the second part of it, we'll use some examples Um, to answer the first part of it. The game of football and then subsequently the game of fantasy football, no matter the format, whether it's DFS, best ball, season long dynasty, it doesn't matter. It's a game of ranges of outcomes. What rankings are is they are median projections ranked against everybody else in the league. What is a median projection? A median projection means, by definition, that 50% of the time, the actual outcome is going to land below that number, and 50% of the time, the outcome is going to land above that number. So knowing that, 
It also helps to visualize a range of outcomes. And this is where we'll bring in the example. Let's take um, Kadarius, Tony, and Skymore. We'll just keep it on the same team. While their median projection is somewhere in between probably where their ADPs are, so Kadarius Tony being a 6th, 7th rounder, somewhere around there. Sky Moore being a 10th, 11th, 12th rounder sometimes. While the median projection for both of those players is probably somewhere in between that, Sky Moore does not have the ceiling that Kadarius Tony has. And Kadarius Tony has a much higher, we'll call it floor. I don't like to use that word because what is a, what is a floor? And it helps to visualize that via like a bell curve like so for my statistics people a bell curve which is an array of outcomes centered about a median projection or a median outcome with 50 percent of the outcomes below and 50 percent of them above now some players are a very very symmetrical bell curve that the majority of their values are associated or situated about the median and that is how the general public views fantasy football. It's like they're going to score within one standard deviation of their median outcome, median projection, and anything else outside of that is variance. Not every player's bell curve is this nice little symmetrical thing. Some players are like really, really steep uh, towards the bottom 50% where a lot of the values are situated close to the mean or the median. Those players are the floor players, this idea of floor, which is not really how we can, from a statistical sense, picture this. And then they have this like distended upside part for the 50%, where it's like a lot of it can land within multiple standard deviations away. So those players are termed like high floor, moderate ceiling. I don't know, man. So Sky Moore is a player that has this like short stubby fat bell curve. Like his ranges of outcomes are kind of spattered all over the place. And he, he wouldn't be thought of as this floor type player. Kadarius Tony is this like fat bell curve on the left side and very, very distended on the right side. And that goes into what his expected role is, his talent level, his situation being the potential wide receiver one in Kansas city. So being able to like visualize this, I guess, through a statistical sense and remove our biases and then look at where their ADPs are and compare those two is what fantasy football is about. It's about placing ourselves in the best position to leverage all the variants of the touchdowns and can his role grow, can whatever. But Kadarius Tony is a guy, he has the intangibles. He's a physical freak. He has the burst and the short field but he doesn't have, he hasn't had the ability to win successfully with a robust route tree. And he hasn't had the ability to stay healthy. So Kadarius, Tony, people can say he's a terrible pick in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, whatever the case may be uh, dependent on format. Who knows? (laughs) Could he hit a 95% outlier because he's been working his ass off to improve his route running ability. And he's going to be used further downfield and he's going to, I mean, his A dot last year was four, <laughs> 4.0. That's like, that's, uh, sorry if I offend anybody, that's LaVisca Chenault level. If he then turns into, okay, he has 
Andy Reid and and uh, and Matt Nagy, who are designing him and have been working on his route running ability downfield, and now his ADOT turns into eight point nine, which is like in the middle of the league. There's massive upside with that. So that whole discussion, I guess, was a long way to say like put ourselves in the best position to leverage the variance smartly. Like Kadarius Tony, awesome ceiling. Sky Moore doesn't have that same ceiling. He's got the short little stubby distended bell curve on both sides. We have no idea. It's interesting because it's it's a off it's a off season where he's healthy and it's an off season where he has continuity with the organization where people seem to have a, a, like him and it's not like a hey let's get rid of him uh from the go type type mentality. So um Tony's interesting. He's burned us many times. Um you know last year he was that second year wide receiver that people were betting on a lot of people we know were, were, were auto drafting him in the sixth round. So I think there's, you know, despite the fact that he's clearly the, the wide receiver one there right now, he's still probably got a little bit of a discount because people were burned so much, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't like comparing him to anybody because he's every player, but we, we try and group intangibles or like skill sets and, the year two to year three jump that Tyreek Hill made in this offense is a viable outcome for Kadarius Tony. I'm not saying he is Tyreek Hill and he's going to, I'm just saying that's within his range of outcomes. Don't even say it, Mark. <laughs> Let's go. Don't get the hope way out there for the community like that, man. You could go way <laughs> lower than Tyreek Hill. No, hey, let's go, dude. Let's year go two to year three jump. Let's go bigger, go home. That's that's it. Yeah. But I, I love the way that you talked about the bell curves and just kind of imagining what those bell curves look like, because that's that's exactly how I go through and and, uh, you know, try to, to game, you know, ADP and all that is what, you know, who are the players at this ADP who I think have a, a, a much larger chance or, a you know, just a chance at all to, you know, be three standard deviations away from it or whatever. Um, you know, how, how do I get to that point? Because those are the league winners. Um, yeah. And you know. Dan, Dan, when I when I listen to him, this is what I think. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> such a poker <laughs> like player. you're such yes. a poker player. Just listen to you talk. Just this that's Dan and I talk about this, and that's how we kind of approach it. I think a lot of people that listen to this, the chances of it happening and not like assuming you know everything just coincides perfectly with what you're talking about. And that's that's just awesome, man. Just you you make it sound way smarter than I do. That's all. <laughs> yeah. It, it, another way to think about it is, you know, like uh, you know. We were talking about James Cook earlier. He's not a player that I worry too much about getting right or wrong because when I'm thinking about his, you know, ADP and his, you know, what his bell curve of outcomes looks like, I'm just not seeing a guy that has an easy path to a league winning ceiling. You know, he could burn me a little bit, but I don't think he can burn me a lot. I also don't think that he's going to, you know, hurt people real bad if they draft him and he doesn't turn out good just because he's going cheap right now. So he's he's one of those players I don't think you need to worry about, you know, necessarily do I do I have this guy exactly right other than, you know, what's what's he doing in uh, you know, if you're in a tournament situation, what's he doing in the last three weeks of the season? That's pretty much about it. Yeah, a correlation. Yeah, the, way, yep. the way that I teach this idea of range of outcomes is to pose the theoretical and hypothetical question of what if. What if the wide receiver one is lost for the season via major injury. Who does that benefit the most? And what is their ceiling in that situation? What if um, 
what if Damian Harris gets hurt? What is James Connor's legitimate ceiling or range of outcomes for that ceiling? It's probably not as high as Zach Charbonnet as was brought up earlier. So that's how I kind of teach how to visualize that this idea of range of outcomes. And then same thing for like the downside. What if, what if this player just doesn't make the steps for Kadarius Tony's example? What if he doesn't take steps forward in his route running ability? What is his range of outcomes or what is, where would his ending um, be for that scenario? Where, like where on that bell curve would that, what would that look like? So I, I use what ifs, if then statements for like the computer programming people in the crowd to kind of visualize that if you're not familiar with visualizing range of outcomes. I think an interesting, uh, interesting like mental exercise and talking about range of outcomes is Travis Kelsey's been very fortunate in his health. He's getting a little bit older. If Travis Kelsey were to miss a few games in a row, which Kansas City chief would they would they try to utilize more? And I think you could see like the manufactured touches for for Tony go way up in that sort of situation as well. Do you ever think in those sort of cross positional outcomes as well, Mark? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's what it is. It, this is again back to the poker analogy. It's probabilistic thinking. We we can't control the outcome. We can't control what cards come on the flop turn river. We can't control our opponent's actions if we're playing a heads-up pot. What we can control is how we manipulate that variance in our favor, how we exploit our opponents. Um, that's a, a buzz term that I use all the time. It's like fantasy football isn't about like out-predicting uh, the other players that we're playing against. It's about exploiting field tendencies and leveraging variance in our favor. Thing, thing is, uh, uh, Mark, in, in poker is, you know, the percentages that you might hit, you know what I mean? Whereas in in, in uh, fantasy, you you don't. That's, yeah, that's probably the biggest difference I see there, but I love it. Yeah, that. it's more oh. theoretical for sure. Yeah, love it, yep. man. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's, let's go through and talk about a few players, talk about their pricing, whether you're drafting or avoiding them at ADP. And we've got to start with Brees Hall because we call this this whole show Brees Hall Bogey. So if we don't talk about Brees Hall... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave some people disappointed. <laughs> so let's let's start that that ball rolling with you, Mark uh, Brees Hall. Uh, are you taking him heavily right now? Where he's going? Are you going light? Uh, you know what do you what do you see going on with Brees? I think the way to picture that is: what if Brees Hall didn't get injured last season? Where would he be going in fantasy drafts this year? Probably top five at the one hundred three. He'd be going right behind Chase and Jefferson for me. He'd be the one hundred three. Yeah, so that is his upside based on his athletic profile, his underlying metrics, his efficiency metrics, and what has changed in New York. They go from a smattering of guys who would struggle to make an XFL roster at quarterback to now a first ballot Hall of Famer um, and one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So the range of outcomes on Brees Hall, the downside is basically just influenced by his his injury and how fast he can come back and how quickly he can reach his previous efficiency mark he's already he's already hitting 22 miles per hour man come on yeah i know right i had to throw that out there for the player profiler yeah can you convert that to knots for me i don't don't know (laughs) yeah but uh i want a lot of Brees hall for sure 
That's huge, man, considering where he's, uh, Dan, you're on mute, considering where he's going at, at the capital at the end of the second so, into that early third. Yeah, so what you're, what you're saying is he's on sale, stock up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Mark, he's actually like, you know, what's interesting is you bring up sort of the fears you have about Tony Pollard. And to a certain extent, you seem to have a little, not fears, but reservations about where Ramondre Stevenson was going. Like Brees Hall's going right there. It's right there at the beginning of the third round, end of the second. So, like, we've seen him dominate uh, an, an NFL game, and we've seen him with his two-way ability, and we like the offense. I mean, I like this Jets offense in terms of their ability to score points. So, it's it's super interesting. I feel like you could get burned um, with the beginning of the season. Uh, like, there, if there's any sort of setback, you know, maybe it's a little bit more of a committee approach till he's completely back. That would be like my one hesitation. But if these reports continue, he's going to shoot, shoot way up. He'll be right with like Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb. He'll be in that mid-second uh, before you know it. Yeah, and it, when you talk about being a volume drafter, you have to consider those things too. Like where is he now and where is he likely to go in ADP? Am I getting closing line value on that ADP now? You talk about Brees Hall, he's highly unlikely to fall and he's so that means he's highly likely to either stay where he's at in ADP or increase in ADP. So all these early shares could be perceived as closing line value versus ADP, which is just I'm getting a player later than my my dudes who are drafting in August and September. No, for sure. For sure. He's definitely he'll definitely steam up. Uh, mm -hmm. Curious, Mark. How much early exposure did you get to Joe Mixon when we had the discount Joe Mixon season? With that smile, I'm guessing you got some because Joe Mixon now, it's like, I'll say that fantasy drafters are super sharp. Like things turn around super quickly when there's an inefficiency like that close. Like Joe Mixon's on his way to being a, you know, a potential low end RB1, you know, yeah. right at the cusp of it. He's like running back 16. RB16. Um, yeah. And he's RB19 on underdog. Um, and last year he had his career high in receptions. And now it looks like the off the field stuff is completely gone. Poof. So see this is it's poof. It goes away. Yeah. Uh, well, it magically disappeared. Remember Chase, remember it's... Chase Brown season guys. That was, that was fun for, for a couple of days, Yeah, but now yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's Joe Mixon. It's, it's great. If you got the early, early values. I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about is like, he was priced so far down. Uh, but do you think there's still a little bit room for growth here? I had three players over 50% through my first 100 drafts, which I basically completed within the first week after the NFL draft. And it was guy we've already talked about. It was Joe Mixon, and it was Cooper Cup. Um, the reason for that is all three of those situations were basically the field saying, we don't know how to handle it. And I saw opportunity to basically get my exposure um, to depressed price. And we talk about Cooper Cup, like depressed price. I have him my fantasy 1.01 uh, this season. Um, a lot of reasons we can talk offline. If you want to curious about those, just go check out 33rd team. Um, but he, I mean, going sixth overall and being able to just like anytime I had a top six pick, it was just like Cooper Cup, give it all to me because I knew I could get Justin Jefferson, I could get Jamar Chase in the second half of the draft cycle. But I knew that Cooper Cup, I would not be able to build the same rosters with Cooper Cup at 1.06, potentially later on in the draft window. Same thing with Joe Mixon. He was started the 
draft cycle at like a seventh middle seventh round ADP. And now he's like early to mid fifth. And that was very clearly the likeliest way for his ADP to move outside of him getting convicted and sent to prison. Like that was the only outcome that could have like lowered his ADP. Like he's not going to play. Okay. Now he's not being drafted at all. So yeah, I, I, I had a, I had heaps and trucks of, of Joe Mixon and was able to generate some pretty cool rosters. Nice. Yeah. So we definitely have to avoid the, you know, the fear-based drafting, um, you know, that, that just doesn't generally lead to good outcomes. Um, let's, let's for sure make, let's, let's get to Jamison Williams for sure. Cause I know, uh, you've got some good, strong thoughts on Jamison, uh, Mark, and I, I just want you to share those with our listeners. Jamo's one of my favorite players in fantasy this season. And it has a lot to do with this idea of range of outcomes versus where he's going. If you look at the big board drafts, so on underdog, the drafts that were completed prior to the NFL draft, he was going about ADP 48. So at the four five turn, now that his ADP has slipped all the way to the eight, nine turn. So he's around ADP of a hundred right now. We're basically getting five full rounds of value for a player that has the same weekly range of outcomes as he had before, but he's now not going to play for six games. And how can I make that statement is because his skill set is the exact thing that the Detroit Lions are missing or had been missing. And now he is a full year removed from that devastating injury that he suffered in the national championship game. And he is reportedly healthy. This is a guy who legitimately can like, be a overall wide receiver one for a given week when it matters the most. Like he has that within his range of outcomes. So I want as much of that as I can get with a five round discount as I can fit into my portfolio and I'll figure out how to make up the first six weeks uh, via sound roster construction, via all the things that make us fantasy players. Um, so yeah, if like, yeah, everything that we've seen from JMO outside of him, betting within team facility constraints has been positive this season. He's healthy. His route running's improved. He is lightning fast. The dude has a good head on his shoulders. He got caught up with Quintez Cephas. I mean, if I got caught up with Quintez Cephas, I'd be betting too. <laughs> like he's, he's a 22 year old kid. He bet on a non NFL game, whatever, man, I'll give you a pass. I want that upside. No, for sure. It's uh, he's definitely gotten beat up to a point where, it's it's different because it's a, a known versus an unknown, but the sort of discount people got on on DeAndre Hopkins last year with the suspension um, magnified, where you get a guy back and all of a sudden you get this fifteen point per game scorer. I don't know if Jamison Williams is that, but I think the spike weeks are there, and he's gotten so beat up. And you might even be able to just draft, you know, Marvin Jones and you know Josh Reynolds types if you want a complete dumpster dive. And have a, like a little bit of exposure to those early few, first few weeks Lions wide receivers uh, before Jamison Williams gets back. Just draft Curtis Samuel, man. He starts every year hot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nice. That's that's exactly it. All right, I think we got time for maybe one more player. So we're gonna we're gonna make a dealer's choice for Mark. Uh, any any player that you want to talk about, uh, go ahead and fire him up, and uh, let's 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 talk about what you're doing with him. Yeah, let's finish off on uh, probably. Uh, one of the bolder takes I think you'll hear. Um, 
let's talk about Matthew Stafford. Um, Matthew Stafford is a guy, I don't even know his ADP because I don't even look if he's on the board. I just draft him. <laughs> it's like, uh, what is he like quarterback 26, 27 off the board, something stupid like that. It's insane. This is a guy, it's, it's just insane. This is a guy, if you look at his situation, what let, let's look at what hasn't changed first. What hasn't changed is he has Cooper Cup, he has Sean McVay, and that's basically all you need to generate Wide receiver like, 22. Upside. Oh, my. Like quarterback 22 off the board? Quarterback yeah. 22. So, look, let's just go and enter our time machine, go back two seasons, right? Let's go to the 2021 season. Cooper Cup finished the overall fantasy 1.01. He was on pace to do so again last season before suffering a high ankle sprain. He chose to get tightrope surgery on that instead of rehab for three weeks and then come back, which he probably could have. They were out of playoff contention. He's just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get right. And we'll see you next year, dude. Um, that's what hasn't changed. Matthew Stafford is reportedly healthy. Cooper cups, healthy. They have cam Akers, who, whatever we can talk about him offline. Um, and Sean McVay, what has changed? Their offensive line has improved and their defense has gotten significantly worse. This is my worst rated defense over the last five seasons on paper. They have Aaron Donald, and then it's like 71% of their defense on their depth chart is rookies and undrafted free agents. Their special teams, their special teams is 100% sixth and seventh round rookies and undrafted free agents. That is the purge that is happening on the defense and special teams in Los Angeles on the Rams. So we have an offensive mind in Sean McVay, who is probably a top six or seven offensive mind in today's game. Still, we have Cooper Cup, who is a move the chains machine and, oh, by the way, can work deep and a yak genius. We have um, Tyler Higby, who's he, whatever you can say what you want. He's a value uh, <laughs> dog. Uh, we have, we have cam Akers, who, whatever he's media, like he's like in the middle of the league in efficiency metrics, but he, if he's given the volume, he can succeed behind an improving offensive line. And then probably the most important piece to this Matthew Stafford discussion beyond cam Akers, but beyond McVay, beyond uh, Cooper cup is a healthy van Jefferson. Why is that the case? We saw over the last year and a half how this Sean McVay offense looks without a player that has the ability to manipulate those safeties. And that goes all into how we started the show. It's so important to manipulate safeties in today's game. Coaches do that via pre-snap motions. They do that because they want to see the strong side safety is creeping down in the box. They do that via a Z-type wide receiver that has speed. They can do so many different things to manipulate safeties. They can do these double moves. They can do these posts. They can do these go routes. They can do these deep crossers to manipulate that safety. And then it's up to the quarterback to manipulate and hold that safety where they've manipulated him with his eyes and his, his, his positioning and where his feet and hips are with a healthy van Jefferson. It should open up this offense. And now with their defense, where it is, I want to target the Rams as much as I possibly can this season. And Matthew Stafford, again, back in the time machine, back to 
2021, Matthew Stafford finished as the fantasy quarterback six that season. Oh, how fast we are. And again, what has changed since then? Their defense has gotten worse. Their offensive line has gotten better. Everything else is pretty much constant. They lost Allen Robinson. Whoop-de-doo. Like, so, yeah, I Matthew Stafford should be going in the quarterback 13-14 range. Uh, and if that's that's median projection. So now we have a case where his median projection is so foobar from where he's being drafted. And he gives us the upside to finish top five, six, seven quarterbacks at the end of the season. Dan, what did, I, what did I send for him in that Triflex, uh, FFPC Triflex, uh, which is super flex for Stafford? Was it two-thirds? Pretty sure it was two-thirds. Yeah, I believe that's what it was. I mean, it was just, it, it was silly cheap, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Go get Stafford, yeah. especially in Superflex, and make sure you're drafting him in, in all, you know, all drafts right now. And, and that's the and, thing. I mean, you know, Cam Akers is, is not super expensive. You know, people can can go about Cup as they want to, you know, because he's going in the first round. I understand <laughs> people might want to, uh, you know, they might be, they might have more concerns about Stafford than uh, than we do. And that's fine, you know. So maybe maybe you don't want to be the guy who's drafting Cup, but I mean, you know, Stafford, if he's going quarterback twenty-two, there's almost no downside to that, especially if you're in a, a redraft managed league where you can just you know throw him away and uh, grab somebody else. But you know, it also makes guys like Van Jefferson great and Tyler Higby great late round ads that are just you know it's just low hanging fruit that's right there at the end of every draft. If he's healthy, he's beating QB twenty two. I mean, it's, oh god, yeah. You know, it's with it's, his left hand. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. You're drafting him at his floor. Um, there's there's a lot of lot of fear with with the Rams for sure. Um, and you know, even Cup, you make a very strong argument for Cup. It's it's you see him going in in, in decent ranges sometimes. So um, you're definitely making a big case for the Rams. And Acres, I think, is very interesting. Because if this offense beats a little bit, Akers is going to beat his ADP as well. There's nothing behind Akers that's going to challenge him mm-hmm. unless he gets injured. So, like, Akers being drafted around, like, running back 25, uh, it's it's not – I don't want to say it's, he's going to have Josh Jacobs-like season, but it's a similar uh, story to tell yourself. From, like, where Josh Jacobs was drafted last year, the volume is there. They're both heading into their fourth year. Um it's it's he's definitely a very interesting value right now. That's a comparison that I've drawn this offseason is Cooper Cup plus Cam Akers could be 2022 Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, where they're just trading 30 point fantasy weeks and it's like one of them we know is gonna put up 30. both of them. Nice. <laughs> yeah. like and and even Higby, man, he's tight end 16 right now in tight end preems. He was the tight end 10, tight end 20, all right, but tight end 13, tight end 15. So he you you talk about floor, he's kind of, his floor is kind of in that range, right? So, I mean, if you're waiting on tight end, he's, he's a nice value as well. Drafting Higby's like a meme at this point for FFPC <laughs> drafters. No one gets excited to do it, but he's always the guy you could just like throw in there. Yeah. 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 There, there's a few, there's a guy we were talking about earlier. I was thinking the exact same thing. He's not fun, but I can't think of it right now. But Dan, do we have anyone else we want to hit on before? Uh, I know we've got Theo on with us, which gives us a, a little way. Like can, can, can you check on Matt Kelly? Can, we go late. Yeah, can you check on Matt Kelly? See if that little vein is starting to pop out. Like his, uh, I, 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 I sent I sent the, the the player profiler brass, and they gave us the green light to go. Nice. Now fifteen minutes long, so this is our longest goat district. This is like a throwback. It's history. Goat district. History is um, being made right here with the high low. Yep. Yeah, and I want nice. to give you and you and Dan a quick shout. 
um the owner's lounge definitely you definitely need to subscribe to the goat district podcast forum because dan and jd are putting out some extremely high level actionable high stakes dynasty advice uh the owner's lounge is is really 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 strong content uh if you play dynasty you definitely need to be on that and then there's going to be a lot of shows that are on goat that are on goat district this summer that are not going to be streamed here on player profiler so definitely subscribe anywhere that you Anywhere that you get your podcast, Goat District is available. So highly recommend you you do that uh, ASAP. Joe Carlton saying Matt Kelly should give us no time limits. Hey, no wait, time if, limits. if that was the case, we go we go ninety, we go we go eighty, whatever. Long form, old school. Joe's Joe's used to the to the to the old school. We yeah, we, we might have, we might have to actually take uh, we might actually look uh, in a very near future of taking the the back end of our show, the rest of our show sheet onto the Goat District channel, just so you guys can maybe join us there. Uh, once our time is up on the player profile, but make sure Theo, we appreciate the kind words, by the way, uh, Dan and I are having a lot of fun yes. with that. The owner's lounge, high stakes at uh, dynasty. And we appreciate player, pro- player profiler for giving us this platform. Um, and we appreciate Mark, man. Mark is, Mark is just a good dude. He's out there in the community. He's killing it in the drafts, killing it on Twitter. Obviously uh, lead analyst over the 33rd team and one season, um, one week season. So make sure you're following at Hilo FF. Dan, Theo, what do we have coming up, boys? Uh, remind the peeps what we have coming up. Uh, on Theo, I'll go to you first. Uh, player profiler, yourself, and then uh, let's uh, trail so, it into so the tomorrow. District. Tomorrow, Billy Muzio and I have Nelson Sousa on First Class Fantasy. Nelson will be joining Go District later in the summer as well. Uh, and then next week, JD, remind me we have a we have a bunch of great guests scheduled. Is next week an Anand Nanduri? It is. It is. Yeah, Great. Gosh, we have a serious lineup, guys. Yeah. I'm looking at the lineup. We've got Anand coming on. We've got Nelson Sousa, who's just a killer, uh, especially this time of year. Alan Sislowski. Theo, you work with him. And yeah, you guys Alan, know him great. You guys are here in the player profiler, another killer in the dynasty land, especially. And our boy, Billy Muzio, uh, just one of the best out there and, and one of our faves. So, guys, we're stacking it up. And, and a couple weeks after that, we've got the podfather himself, Matt Kelly, right here at 9 p.m. Eastern on the, uh, the Player Profiler Network via GOAT District. Yeah, and, and, and don't forget, tomorrow night uh, we've got the hard way draft going on, so you'll get to see right. uh, Mark put all his theories into practice as much yeah. as he can. Dan's going to be so everyone's, nice. everyone's, the hell Mark, out of Mark, everyone's got a plan until they get punched. Oh, That's yeah. Right. <laughs> you guys are just lucky I'm not in the draft. It's the yep. only hard way league I haven't won. And, and Mark, they just won't let me in, man. I, I don't know uh, what I'm going to do. Hey, you know, we all want to have a turn game. winning leagues too. So we got to keep you out of one of them. That's, so it, that's, that's it, and I, I'm, I'm always curious who is, who is the grenade? Which player does every single person pass on that like oh, goes yeah. in the first round of every other draft and he falls to like 19 yeah, so check it out, guys. Like a, a really Devontae good Adams. I'll call it now. Devontae yeah, Adams. I, I like that call. That's a, especially yeah. with the Jimmy G news right now. But guys, a, a yeah. seriously loaded roster. So check that out tomorrow on the FFPC uh, YouTube channel. They're going to be drafting live, and I'm sure they're going to have a bunch of the guys on, uh, including Theo and Dan uh, and Mark that you see here on the screen. Guys, we appreciate all of you. The chat was lit tonight. We appreciate all of you guys. Bradley, Joe, Harry, Snowman. You know who, who you are. We appreciate you guys joining us tonight. Make sure you come up every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Player Profiler. Guys, keep drafting. Bring home those ships. Bring home some cash, and we'll check you all later. Go, get
district, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing. On all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex? Send the homie a text? That trash offers the best? You try to make it complex? Then they text you back, now all of a sudden they don't make any sense? <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do with the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Bait them. Fish. Hey, you like that video? Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.